0: We didn't recover. We had to close the operation. No one other than myself lost money, uh, but I was very close to bankruptcy. And I lost my house in the process. I lost whatever assets that I had. The bank took those.
1: Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name's Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and today I'm here with Bill Lewis, who will be telling us about his worst investment ever. Thank you so much, Bill, for being with us, and welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Andrew. Thank you very much for the opportunity to join you today.
1: Yes, great to have you. So let me give a little background for our listeners about you. Bill Lewis is the founder and leader of Linacre Digital Media. He holds a degree in business strategy leadership mergers and acquisitions, operations strategy, and globalization from Harvard Business School. Bill started his career as a senior financial analyst at Ford's Europe division. Throughout his career, he's worked for more than a dozen companies, including KPMG, British Airways, and was the co-founder in 2012 of Temesis Communications. Born as a technologist, he has evolved into a consummate leader and boardroom titan. He's helped many entrepreneurial businesses, including some Fortune 200 companies. Bill, you got anything to add to that excellent introduction?
0: Well, you're very kind, Andrew. I think, yes, I think you've summarized combination of both corporate background and entrepreneurial background. And I'm sure we'll explore a little bit, of more, little bit more of that in a few moments.
1: Now, before sharing your story, can you tell us a little bit about your level of investing experience and what type of investment are you going to be telling us about for this story?
0: I put my level of investment experience today at somewhere between medium and high. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm an investment professional. It just means that I've had considerable experience. And as we'll see, both good and bad, and I will come to some of those stories in a moment. The actual story that I'm going to share with you, at that point in time, I would have put my investment experience at probably low and almost low to optimistic. I think many of us entrepreneurs at some point in time have that level of a belief in ourselves that runs ahead of our investment experience.
1: So now to set the stage for our listeners, can you describe the circumstances leading up to this worst investment? Of course, everybody goes into their worst investment thinking it's not going to be bad. It's going to be good. So maybe you can tell us what was going on in your life, in the markets, in the... You know, what were you presented with when you made this investment?
0: Okay, Andrew, I think a little bit of kind of background because it's, it's relevant to how the story pans out. I would had a very accomplished corporate career, as you said mm. out in the introduction. After a period of time, and I think that I was in my late 30s, coming up 40s, I decided to take some time out to work in the charity sector, which I did. For five years, we created and ran a very, very successful charity in the UK working with disadvantaged young people. Uh, But after five years, I came back into the business world, but not wanting to go into corporate life, decided to try my hand initially at consulting, but very rapidly moved towards entrepreneurship. So I'm kind of an accomplished corporate executive, hands-on experience of running organizations outside the corporate environment, and now stepping forward into what was my first
1: foray into real entrepreneurship. Okay, so that gives us a little hint that the story is gonna be about entrepreneurship. Why don't you then take it away and tell us that story? Tell us what happened.
0: The result of a, a number of introductions, I met a couple of guys in the US, and I entered into a partnership with their American organization to open up the United Kingdom with a range of consumer products. Now, they had been phenomenally successful in the U.S. Uh, and the agreement was that the American organization would supply product and management support and training during, during the initial period, and that would be for about a year. And I would supply finance premises, and I would recruit staff, and I would run the organization. Now, I was cognizant of the what was pretty much an outstanding track record by the American organization. And I felt that with their one year of management implant into the UK, it would be sufficient to build a viable enterprise. Now, in addition to their couple of management implants, they also recommended a couple of senior people, which they had come across in the UK and they'd been associated with earlier. So the amount of money that was invested was significant, whilst I don't really want To go into the absolute, some years ago, so one would have to adjust for inflation. But suffice to say, suffice to say that the business required both bank finance as well as my personal finance. So it was putting my own asset base at risk. So we set out, and whilst the American organization provided key staff, and the key staff we're talking about two people at vice president sales level, one one vice president sales and one one a trainer. I had to cover the out-of-pocket expenses, which is on our account. And we set about building the UK sales organization. On the surface, it, this appeared to be a, an enterprise with potential. Good track record, reasonable products, uh, help with the from the American organization. The- it sounds
1: like it. <laughs> oh. I mean, it's not, just listening to it, I think, God, what could go wrong here?
0: Well, you see, sales revenue... The growth in sales revenue was incredibly slow, and it became fairly transparent that the UK market was fundamentally different to the US market, and the US team had great difficulty in assimilating into local conditions. We're missing sales forecasts, and missing them by quite a significant margin. Now, the other thing which which I didn't mention before, as part of the agreement, I was required and I agreed to fund. A significant level of inventory in the UK. I had a warehouse full of product. A sales forecast, which showed that that inventory would be consumed at quite a respectable rate, but we missed the sales forecast. So what was happening now? That business was hemorrhaging cash, and hemorrhaging cash at a very, very significant
1: rate. That sounds painful.
0: <laughs> and I think you know, once we started facing up. To the fact that, I, I think what happened, I placed a great deal of reliance on the American organization, mm-hmm. the American staff that were effectively implants into our organization, and also to, uh, on the, the people that the American organization, two Brits, who the American organization recommended. And none of these guys were delivering. So part of me was saying it's only going to be a matter of time before the, the UK operation would see accelerating growth, and we'd move into profit. Now, it' was a high great gross margin range of products, so the world would become a wonderful place. But on the other side of the coin, my intuition was saying, "Well, this is not going to happen." My gut feel was saying, these guys a don't understand the u k they have a very significant level of influence over the marketed decisions, uh, the two guys which the Americans had actually recommended were very aligned to the American model. Uh, Despite the fact that it wasn't working, I felt that I was a little bit out on a limb. Now, what I thought that I could rely on going into this enterprise was my corporate experience, my corporate management experience, which I thought that I could rely on my corporate management experience, which, you know, what was significant was highly successful. Uh, But, you know, after nine to 10 months, the realization that business model that was being attempted was not going to work. Our warehouse is full of stock. And the U.S. implant team were about to return to the U.S. And the two U.K. guys decided they wanted to go somewhere else. And then the U.S. organization came over for a review, and they then effectively washed their hands of any responsibility. So I continued to push into the second year with our own team who had made significant changes to the business model. But honestly, we didn't have the financial runway to recover. End of story. End of story. We didn't recover. We had to close the operation. No one other than myself lost money, uh, but I was very close to bankruptcy. And I lost my house in the process. I lost whatever assets that I had. The bank took those. But obviously, you know, I recovered over time. But that was kind of a sorry, a sort of, you know, looking back, of course, it was a disastrous time, a very difficult time. Did I learn lessons from it? Indeed, I did.
1: Let's, why, don't, why don't we review those? What did you learn? Because... Boy, when I look at it, it looks like a lot of stuff seemed like it was in place. But, um, I mean, one of the things clearly is that same product, different market, that is hard to anticipate.
0: Indeed. I think there are basically three points. If you're going to go into a sector or an industry that's unfamiliar to you, on the basis that you believe your management skills, which have been proven elsewhere, are transferable, You should have done your homework and find a way of getting hands-on exposure to a new business model and a new business environment before you commit financial investment. Absolutely essential. I did not do that. I took the word of the American organization that their model was transferable, and I didn't check it.
1: Okay, so that's lesson number one.
0: Lesson number one. Second, number two, if you're going to enter into a commercial agreement with someone who allegedly has the product and the experience, you need to make sure that they have some skin in the game. Mm. The UK company uh, was, for all intents and purposes, 100% owned by myself. There were, there were a couple of small shareholders, but it wasn't significant. The American organization... As they did, walked away from it and they lost nothing. So that's lesson number two. Mm. Make sure your other partners have skin in the game. Lesson number three are quite interesting. There's no substitute for committed and loyal staff. So, despite the significant problems that we encountered, the small group of English managers and staff that I had in the organization, you know, this organization even after 12 to 14 months was not massive. There was a team of maybe about 15 or 20 people. The small group of English managers were outstanding, truly, truly outstanding. They were committed. They were loyal. They worked. They tried to counteract the American influence, suffered the same degree of frustration that I did. And I think that if it had not been for them, uh, a, we wouldn't have lasted quite so long. Now, that's a kind of a double-edged sword because lasting quite so long meant that I was still hemorrhaging cash, but we were still being optimistic that we might be able to find our way out of it. We just ran out of cash runway.
1: The first lesson that you talked about is about doing your homework and getting hands-on exposure to that model. And it reminds me of a story of my own where i was i was a pretty successful guy in thailand i had been an analyst and a head of research and a good friend of mine who i trusted very much had started an investment bank in vietnam and he asked me to go and be a head of research there so i decided i'd go and check it out and i went and met everybody and it all seemed great and then i went and talked to the guy that was the head of research before and what he said to me is he said every single thing that you learn in thailand Will not transfer over into Vietnam because it's different language, different culture, and he said because of the English level, you would be completely reliant upon your analyst to do all of the work, and then you would just be sitting in an office basically and that terrified me and it made me think twice about uh, taking my experience in one market in one area and carrying it to the other so that's uh, the first one the other one you mentioned is uh, skin in the game, and I think that point is is that whether it 's a co-investor or whether it's other uh, management team, one of the great things that can keep people committing themselves, even when times are tough, is that they have skin in the game. And then the final one that you mentioned is about having committed and loyal staff, which is so hard. And even in a country like Thailand, where I am, the unemployment rate's 1%. It's easier said than done to build a team of committed and loyal staff. It takes time. And sometimes you just don't have the time or the runway in that case. Is there anything that you would add to that?
0: Uh, no, I, th- I think your, your points are extremely well made. And I think you've summarized the, the critical learning points from, from my experience. Now, of course, mm-hmm. that, that, that was quite some years ago and, and, and the world's moved on. And, you know, what I've managed to recover financially over the next few years to the point where I had significant liquid assets. And I moved on to being more risk averse. It actually runs uh, into kind of a chapter two of risk assessment and and investment decisions because I kind of changed my tack insofar as I allowed my bank's investment arm to have responsibility for my portfolio. Listen, having heard my story before, you might be saying to yourself, well, that actually was not a bad idea, Bill. You know, you let, let somebody else who are professionals Indeed, Uh, that's true. But you see, when 2008 came and the crash happened, and my bank's investment arm had responsibility for my portfolio, it turned out that I was all but wiped out Mm. again. The bank's investment department had discretion. It also extended to levering my cash with loans to take advantage of upside, which, of course, a bull market is not a bad strategy. But what I did not realize that whilst banks have the discretion to make those investments, they also have the discretion to protect their own downside, Uh, which, of course, when the crash came, they did. So the crash came and it left the bank with a comfortable position. They liquidated the portfolio. They took the loans back and I was left holding the remnant of what was a very large portfolio. The key message here is that certainly amongst the banks, their so-called personal advisory services they have absolutely no interest in your well-being their objective is to sell products and services and loans if they're able to and make money and to protect their downside
1: oh bill you start a whole new can of worms and i tell you i have more than 500 stories that have come into me of worst investment ever and i can't tell you the number that are talking about very similar situations to what you've just described. I can believe and I think that it's, uh, you know, one of the things about a CFA and being a CFA charter holder myself is that we try to uphold a, a higher standard of ethics. And the one thing that I teach in my ethics and that we are supposed to follow, if you ever find a CFA charter holder that's not following this, you can report them to the CFA Institute. And that is client first. And that's so rare nowadays, in fact, In the world of compliance and all that, really what it often is, institution or firm first, client second. So Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, uh, as we talked about this and other stories like I told you about my mom, ultimately we have to be an advocate for our own money, our own interests, because it's just not always going to be the case that other people will. And that's part of the skin in the game point that you've made. And that's part of the story that you've just told about, you know, delegating. It's fantastic. I think maybe we can, we'll wrap it up at that point, but you've definitely shared a lot. I just want to say that fellow risk takers out there who are listening, this is another painful story of loss to help you keep winning. Uh, To find all previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. Once there, don't forget to download our free book of other investing stories. Bill, I tell you, I really appreciate it. I want to thank you again for coming on this show. And I know it's painful to talk about our losers, but I also know that our listeners will learn to win as a result. So thank you very much for your time.
0: Okay. You know, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I, I think there's just one postscript because it yep. sounded as though it was all doom and gloom. Um, I have regained lost ground. I invested wisely in a business that I ran and I sold that business at a profit and then invested again in the company that I co-founded, which you mentioned on the outset. And the exit uh, should show a very, very substantial return. So uh, it looks as though I've
1: learned some of my lessons. Well, three cheers to that. And we appreciate you sharing that because it's great to end on an up note. So thanks so much.
0: Okay, my pleasure. And thank you very much indeed.
1: Yeah, there you you go, fellow risk takers. Another great story to help you create, grow, and protect your wealth. I'll see you on the upside.